Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Gentle Parents Unite weekly podcast with Sujai Johnson, Margie Zintz, and Vivek Patel. We are glad to have you here. We share concepts and strategies that help parents have more harmonious relationships with their kids and different ideas that can help you get through the struggles of parenting. We know parenting can be hard sometimes, and we want to offer whatever support we can. You can find us on Facebook by typing in Gentle Parents Unite, and also on our Patreon, also by typing in Gentle Parents Unite. So grab a notebook and a pen so you can jot down your ideas and questions. And we look forward to spending the next little bit of time with you, sharing ideas around parenting. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Gentle Parents Tonight podcast. This is Vivek Patel here coming at you for another week with some parenting wisdom. And I'm here with my collaborator and my genius friend, Sujai Johnson. Hello, Johnson. Hello, Johnson. Listen to me. Hello, Sujai. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll just call you Johnson for this uh, for this episode. I feel like I'm back in high school again. That's amazing. <laughs> Is that what I they called you? <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually uh, never played sports. So if I played sports, they probably would have. But no, right. that wasn't. My- right. I was a sports dad the whole way along. My kid, Veets, who's now 23 and not in school, um, she's living her life. But man, through all throughout school, right from the very beginning, she was on every sports team. And I would be at every game and every practice and every single time. And I knew enough about athletics that I ended up being assistant coach on every team, on track team and basketball and volleyball. And it just didn't matter what. Mm. And uh, oh, soccer. And I always was incredibly athletic. huh? Yeah, for sure. For Mm. sure. She's uh, she's amazing. I remember we, we, we bought her a javelin and, uh, and because um, she was into track and she loved to throw the javelin. And I had, we were practicing in the park out by our house and we would go really deep into our practice too. And um, we would look at like the angles of the arms and the way the muscles worked. And I always talked to her, right in the very beginning, I always talked to her about how the body worked and how all the pieces put, get put together and how the different parts work together. And um, we always explored movement and made it fun. Also, when I would give suggestions and, and advice, it was always with that mindset of not expecting her to take it, just trusting that she would take it and make it her own, not do it the way I told her to do it. So it was always kind of relaxed when I would give it to her, and she wanted it because it made sense, and it usually made her throw farther. So we would have this like back and forth, and we would try different things. That doesn't work. This works. Okay, let's do this. Um, and so this one day, I took a water bottle, and I threw it to the other end of the park. And I said, see if you can hit that water bottle. And she grabbed the javelin and she threw it across the park. It went right into the water bottle. <laughs> and I just looked at her and I bowed and I said, respect. <laughs> uh, I'll never forget that. But being a sports dad was so, um, was so, uh, such an encouraging thing. It was such a, uh, uh, it's a high energy thing, you know? And, and then you're at a sports game and you're cheering your team on, right? And, uh, and so I think the reason I wanted to talk about and start with this whole sports idea is because I want to talk about praise today. We want to talk about praise today. And uh, we've talked a lot about how praise, when it's used as a tool of manipulation or a tool of, you know, getting a, a parent, getting their needs met um, or getting their or sometimes even to get uh, to take out their own emotions on their kids because we do that you know 
Um, no parent would be honest if they say they don't do that sometimes. <laughs> and, and so we use, we use, uh, we take, we use um, praise in any of those ways. We've talked about that a lot, but today I want to talk about um, how we can use it in a positive way. How can we use it to uplift our kids? How can we use it to empower them? Because people always ask me, well, Vivek, I want to praise my kids. And if you see me with, with kids, you see, I'm so positive and I'm so encouraging and I praise them all over the place. Um, oh, I just do it in, with, a, with a mindset that's very specific and that's the key. And that's what we're going to talk about today is how can we use praise in a positive way so it's actually not creating a, a message of conditional acceptance, not a message of uh, manipulation, not a message of uh, sometimes you're worth more and sometimes you're worth less. Yes, and it's such an important topic. You know, I think that there's um, a lot of misunderstanding even among the gentle community about praise and um, the benefits versus the possible downsides of it and how praise can be used in constructive ways. Yeah, I was saying earlier that if you actually see me with kids, I'm so positive and I'm so encouraging constantly. And you'd be like, Vivek, I thought you had a problem with praise. Why are you constantly praising kids? Everything they do, every little thing. Like people think it's overkill, not the kids. The kids love it. But a lot of time adults will be like, that's overkill, Vivek. They're not enjoying it. But then the kids don't want to stop hanging around me. <laughs> so, and it's not because um, I'm praising when they do something that's good and not praising when they do something that's bad. And I have invisible, it's an, because it's a podcast, I have the invisible air quotes around uh, good and bad. Because I don't actually mean good and bad, which is kind of the point. That praise, when I use praise, I, I don't use it to try and get kids to behave how I want. I use praise to help kids see themselves, to know themselves, to see the world around them, and to understand their own worth, their own value. So, for example, if... The way, the way that one, one example is, let's talk about putting dishes away. So let's say your kid puts dishes away and you want to praise them for it. You can say, thank you so much for putting the dishes away because it saves me some time and I can use that time doing other things, which is great. And that's one of the great things about collaborating as a family and we work together and, uh, and when each of us does something, it makes the load easier for everybody. I just I love that we work together and you thought of it on your own. I really appreciate that. So that might be... Um, that might be something that you could say to your kid. Now, how do we make that not manipulation? The way we make that not manipulation is if they get up and they leave without taking their plate, you can praise them for that too. You can say, I really appreciate that you know that I'll pick up your plate and I'll love doing it because we do things for each other. And, uh, and you have that kind of faith in me. And I just love that you, you, know, you honored yourself and you got up without picking up the plate and you would do the same for me in another situation. And I just love that. That's how our family works. It's a totally different totally different experience, same drawing attention to the connection, drawing attention to, um, you know, the positive aspects, the love. So it's not, I'm never saying you're more loving when you act like this, you're less loving when you act like this. I'm saying all your decisions are based around, all our decisions are based around tending to our needs and other people's needs. And I see that. And I see you really do care. Because otherwise we're saying, sometimes I think you care and sometimes you don't. And how often do we say, some, this, I mean, it sounds like such a thing, a thing that parents would say. Sometimes I think you just don't care. Sometimes I think you don't care about me or your sister. Sometimes I don't think you don't care about your family. Sometimes I think you don't care about your future or your friends or your hygiene. 
sometimes I think, I mean, how often do, you, how often do we hear that, right? And, uh, and that's the conditional message. Absolutely. You know, um, the thing about the conditionality is then we're always striving to somebody else's sense of perfection, which really doesn't honor us in the scenario. Um, I was thinking as you were talking, you know, some parents might push back on the idea of thanking their child for not doing as they're asked and um, trying to find some kind of a connection there in the not doing as they're asked. And I can understand where somebody would be coming from going, well, that just does not make very much logical sense to me. You know, how how is that going to have the kind of outcome that I seek or desire? Because, you know, as parents, we're pretty burned out and we really don't want to just take on everything and just be like, okay, I'm not seen in this picture anymore. And sometimes when we say something like that, it could really be perceived that way by the parents. And I want to just really clarify around that a little bit for folks. It's not about just taking everything on ourselves and holding space to become this proverbial doormat we hear people talk about a lot. Um, it's about focusing on that relationship. And I can't reiterate enough because uh, I know I've said this before, but when we focus on a relationship and what happens within the relationship and honoring, respecting, and loving within the relationship, all that other stuff that you're seeking, the cooperation, the collaboration, the listening, the working together, um, it becomes mutual. And within that mutuality, all of these things that we seek and hope to achieve as parents, it lies behind that relational shift. And it's a really, um, it's kind of a leap of faith and it's something of a intimidating shift to make, especially when we think that, you know, there's a possibility in making this shift, it's going to make our lives a lot more difficult. And I just want to assure people that if we can really get our brains around this paradigm and really focus on that relationship and shift over into that place, it becomes really easy. And everything that we seek, that we hope to find in that relationship, all of the cooperation, collaboration, all that great stuff that I mentioned, it's all there on the other side of this relational shift. So Jai, I really hear what you're saying about the, the mindset shift. It's like a whole paradigm shift, being able to see our kids and trust their process like that. And it's also a different way of looking at cooperation too, how we want to create cooperation in our homes. Because if we create cooperation in the sense that we are all operating together, right? We cooperate. We're all operating together towards a common goal. But then, you know, it, it matters that the goal is a common goal then. It matters that we all feel a part of that goal and that we've had a part in creating that goal. And that it's meaningful to us, right? Like real cooperation requires a lot of background work. It requires getting everybody on board. It requires getting everybody feeling like they belong, like they're needed, like they have something to contribute. Like these are deep human needs. So if we want to be conscious parents and we want to create cooperation in our home and not obedience. Okay, so let me tell the opposite before I do the if. The opposite is praise and punishment based, praise and consequence based. Um, and, and, the, and the withdrawal of praise is also a consequence. 
So this is why it's important to understand that praise inherently has a consequence built into it because sometimes they get it, sometimes they don't. Sometimes it feels better, sometimes it doesn't. The times it doesn't is the consequence they're trying to avoid. The times it does is the more pleasurable thing they're trying to seek. And it's not wrong to seek more pleasurable experiences in life. The problem is when that is guided by someone else's response. So then they, they try and get us to praise them. They're not trying to care for the house. They're trying to get a praise so they can get a hit of acceptance. And, and then they formulate their whole way of engaging with the world based on trying to get other people's approval. And a lot of the time what happens is they go the opposite direction and they don't even consider the other people's feelings because they, it's too dangerous to because it's connected to manipulation. Oh, you're hurting me if you do this. And then they feel that. And of course, they have to either, they have to either like um, feel that pain and live in that pain and fear or they have to close their hearts off. But none of that is healthy human relationship. This is why, the un, this is why unconditional praise unconditional, and I call it the gratitude response, even if you don't want to think about it as praise, right? I call it the gratitude response, is looking, what can you be grateful for? What can you see as useful and beautiful and positive and, and worth, worth actually praising? Like if you think of praise as in like honoring the beauty and the divinity and the sacredness of something, you know, um, what can you see to praise in this moment? and to feel praise about and to feel that sense of connection and, and joy and noticing about. Because every moment with your kids, every moment is a human experience, you know? It's a, learning to be a human is a hard thing. You know, you know? I, I could not agree with that more. Um, learning to be a human can be so difficult. I'm 44 years old and I'm already, mm. I, I still struggle with like all of the social understandings and <laughs> Getting in and all kinds of, you know, human stuff. Um, yeah, we always find ourselves in conflicts with other adults, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> we haven't figured out a damn thing. <laughs> <laughs> I think I get better at it. I get better right. at you know, right. how to maneuver and um, carry myself through the situation in the greatest self-alignment. Yeah. You know, put some of the things you were talking about into a little bit less abstract concepts for our listeners. You know, for example, let's say that your child is coloring a, a picture and, you know, um, we could praise them by saying, wow, that's a really great picture. Um, or there's, you know, which is kind of a generic praise. It might not really look at the depths of it. It might not go into some of the details about the aspects where they did really good or the aspects where, you know, um, maybe we don't perceive it the way that they perceive it. And I don't want to say that they do bad because coloring within the lines is like such a silly concept anyways to me. It's very arbitrary. Um, art is kind of without limits and boundaries. Some people made millions of dollars by putting splotches on pieces of paper, you know, or canvas anyways. <laughs> um, but if we can look at that picture and really go inside that picture with them and discuss, you know, what it was that they were creating, why they created it that way, and then find things about it that, you know, really feel true like you know this color scheme is really amazing or you know um i find it really interesting and creative the way that you decided to design this aspect of it and finding things that are more um 
punctual, more on point to to what was being presented within the piece of art and really entering that art with them and um, not See, tearing John, up I, art. Yeah. <clears throat> I want to jump in for a sec. You totally, you're totally singing my song because I do that on Facebook too. A lot of the time our Facebook friends will post, oh, look at this drawing my kid did, right? And I always look at it and I take time and I really look at it. Right? And I, I say, oh, I really noticed how they chose blue for the left half of that, even if it's just like a splotch of blue on a page. Uh, but whatever it is, or like it's a house or then there's a bird or maybe they're a little older and there's a little more realism, whatever it is they've done. But I'll take the time to really look at the details and I'll mention specific things. And I'll say, look, there's a, like a line of blue right next to the eye. I really appreciate that blue. It really brings out the whole thing. And the kid will be like, yeah, and I love it. And, they all, and I always ask the parent, please read this out to the kid, how, exactly how I've written it. And every single time the kid just lights up with joy that I recognize some of those details, you know, and really cared about the process they went through. And... Uh, yeah, it's just a beautiful, uh, it's a beautiful thing. And even just doing it on Facebook and having them read it, it still has a, a, an effect. So I appreciate you bringing, it, bringing that up. Yeah, it's very profound and really leaning in. And, you know, I think a lot of our interactions as human beings can be on a surface level where we're not deeply engaging. And um, we miss a lot of opportunities to really see somebody when we fully engage in a moment. And that's very true with praise you know um the topic of praise is a really interesting one to me because you know like you were saying um seeking external validation isn't a bad thing and needing external validation and gaining external validation none of that is a bad thing if we're doing that to actually you know um validate who we are, if we're seeking that acceptance because we're feeling a lot of disconnect and all of that stuff, that's speaking to an inner voice that is hurting, an inner voice that has felt rejected, an inner voice that's kind of, you know, stuck in that place where we feel like we're never enough. And I know that, you know, most people have experienced that feeling of never enough in their life. And um, there's this other aspect to it, you know, um, I, I want to talk about this in relation to the inner voice and the way that we form that inner voice. You know, children, they're new to this world and they're learning everything around them for the first time ever, you know, and as they grow, clearly they've been exposed to more. So they've learned more and they've seen more and they've experienced more. And so much of these things that are happening throughout a child's life, they have such a, such a delicate psyche as they're growing into this human being that they're going to be one day. And um, a lot of that inner voice you know, some of it comes from the people closest to us and from around the home and stuff like that. And a lot of it comes from society and from the places that we go outside the home. It comes from bullying at school and um, not feeling like we fit into social cliques and all kinds of things, you know, as well as it can also come from parenting. And a lot of it, you know, particularly if we're consciously trying to gently parent and consciously trying to make sure that we're being mindful of our children's um, psyche and trying to help them instill, instill 
some confidence in their own inner voice, right? Um, even so, and even in these situations, our children can still go out in the world and find situations despite our best efforts where, you know, that inner voice is really being challenged and that feeling of never enough is really coming up for them. And so I think that praise done in a conscious and thoughtful and engaging way is definitely, you know, it's something that can be a useful tool in helping your child see themselves clearly. But if we're misusing praise, if we're using praise in a way that isn't true, you know, we're telling somebody they're really good at something that they're not good at. Um, or, you know, if we're in some way telling them something that they really cannot see that about themselves, you know, um, then it's going to fall a little bit short and they're not going to really, it, it doesn't add to that inner voice of self-confidence and self-love and um, comfort in one's own body if it just doesn't ring true. And that's why it's so important that when we engage in, um, you know, discussions around what somebody you know, what their strengths are and what they, you know, what their inner beauty is and what their external beauty is and all of those different things. And I'd be really careful about the external beauty praise, though I don't, I don't necessarily think it's something that we should steer away from completely because, again, that's something that we hear a lot from society. But um, however it is that we're offering that praise and whatever it is that it um, pertains to, that it rings really true to them so that, you know, if they're not that great at something, instead of saying, oh, you're really great at that, you could say, you know, I can see you're really passionate about that and that's something you really care about. And, you know, sometimes we have to try things many times before we reach this level of perfection that we're striving for. And sometimes we never reach that level of perfection that we're striving for. And that's okay too, you know, and then we can get deeper into a topic and kind of peel off of the layers and stuff. But, um, you know, it's, it's interesting because I just saw just yesterday, I saw a video, um, Steve Harvey and I'm not sure who else it was. And they were talking about tough love versus sugar coating, which pretty much was the same topic. Um, though they were coming at it from a very, I'm saying in air quotes, tough love angle, where they were saying things like, yeah, if a kid isn't good at basketball, you just straight up tell them they're not good at basketball. I think it was a quote from Reese Witherspoon. And we, Reese Witherspoon had been like, you know, telling her daughter she was terrible at basketball and her daughter was crying and Reese had, um, you know, defended that action. And then the, um, the talk show that I was watching was, you know, the host Steve Harvey and his guests were discussing the tough love aspect. And, you know, it was interesting because for me, if a child isn't great at basketball, I go, you know, the human brain learns from repetition and not very many people just jump on the basketball court and are great at basketball. And I don't think that it does anybody any favors to tell them that they're not good at basketball. And I don't think that telling them that, you know, if they practice back basketball, they can get really good at basketball is sugarcoating anything. I think that's the truth. And, and I think that, you know, saying when we first start something something can be really difficult that i don't feel like that's sugarcoating or um you know along that vein of 
Um, I think it's more honoring the process that the human brain learns from repetition. And the more that we practice, the better we're going to get at something. And we can lean into things when we go around praise around something like that. Say your child isn't great at basketball. Instead of just straight up telling them you're not good at basketball, let's just quit. Like you're never going to be good at basketball. You know, we could say something like, you know, you're really fast and that's a really good trait for basketball. Um, you know, um, with a little bit of time, maybe you'll, you know, you're going to gain some of those other skills for actually getting the ball into the basket. And, um, you know, or you, you really, you know, you have great teammanship in the way that um, I don't think I like that word teammanship. You have great. Um, I don't think it's even a word and it's you have great, um, uh, you know, your team spirit, maybe. Yeah, you have great team spirit. You're a great collaborator. You really support your teammates in positive ways, you know. Um, there's there's a gazillion different things that they might be doing that's really um, on point and really, you know. Um, Sujai. Yeah. I need to jump in. Yes, absolutely. Uh, thank you. Because I, I, I want to talk about this, um, about sports specifically, but using that to talk about a, a more general concept. Um, it's very, very close to what you're saying. I just want to add a little bit something to it. Um, it's the idea of what does it mean to be good at basketball? And I know that people may roll their eyes when you hear something like that. But remember, I'm talking from a perspective of somebody who coached basketball teams all throughout school years and every sports team. So it's not like I don't know what it's like. Um, and I even coached one of her, when we had a community, uh, she, she played softball in the community and cause we found every, every opportunity for her to do sports out there. And she played in the, in the Amesbury sports league back when she was just a, a toddler all the way up to her, her tween years. And one of the years I got to coach the team, I was assistant coach right away. Cause everybody knew realized, oh, we should have this guy on as assistant coach. But one year they gave me my own team and I took the team right to the championships and we won the championships. We won the playoffs. We won the championships. <laughs> and all the other coaches hated me because I used a completely teamwork-based, non-coercive, um, uh, praise-based, you know, everyone cheering everyone else on for the effort and for their care and for recognizing the humanity we cheered the other teams on, which rattled them because they didn't know what was happening. You know, like we just, I mean, the, 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 these girls would come to me at the end of the game and then after, and we'd all be celebrating the juice boxes and then they'd go, oh, by the way, did we win? And most of the time we were winning, but they did, it, it was less important to them. But why do we keep winning? Because they wanted to give everything they had. Even the worst player didn't feel like the worst player. She felt like she was her part of this team that we all were. And we all wanted to give our most and our best to it. And every game, it was like a movie. I'm telling you, I wish we had filmed that season. Um, but it was like a movie. Every game, the momentum would build. And people would start to watch and come out to watch this team that had like only two, two good players on it, right? They, they intentionally stacked all the poor players on my team. <laughs> 
because <laughs> I was like, I was like, they already, I already had a bit of a reputation. They're like, I'll just give it to Vivek. He's not going to be able to do anything with them anyways. And they start, and the passion in these girls and the intensity when they would get up at bat and like the other players would start to shake because they were so intense, you know, and the, and there would be no arguing on our team and there would be no, uh, no drama. Everybody supported everybody. And we just barreled our way to them. <laughs> It's one of my favorite things in my whole life. And, uh, and I talk about that because it's not, I mean, I mean, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not coaching the big leagues, but as far we're talking, this is a parenting, this is a parenting um, uh, uh, podcast. So, so this is, this is, it makes sense. This is real world, you know, and on every team I was on, when, even all throughout school, I took the sports aspect of it very seriously. I mean, I've been teaching martial arts for, for, for decades. So I know the body and how it works. But I always focused on the human aspect first, you know, and then, and then, so what does it mean to be good at basketball? Nobody's ever, only, there's only going to be a few that are the best. There's always going to be somebody better than you. There's always going to be somebody worse than you, you know, like it just do, but to be good at basketball means what are, who are you in this moment playing basketball? And what can you give to this moment of basketball? You know, and if everybody's giving that and we all honor that in each other, then, then um, you're still pushing people to give their best, but you're doing it without putting anyone down. I mean, it, I don't see the downside in that. No, I think that since we're here and talking about it, and I was just saying before we started this call that, um, you know, allowing more room for debate in some of the areas of our work might be a good idea. And so I would assume, you know, having heard the other side of this debate, that a lot of people would push back at you and say something along the lines of, well, if you tell everybody they're good at something and they're not good at it and you just give everybody participation trophies, then um, <clears throat> how are we going to uh, define who is good at it and, and also, um, you know, how is that even fair to the child who's not as good at it if they're um, dedicating their lives to really putting a lot of energy into learning something. And to those people, I would say that, you know, a very small portion of people are going to go on to be basketball stars. However, they might get a lot of joy out of playing basketball. They may spend their entire lives having, you know, communities of friends that they go to the park and, you know, even as adults, they go and they play basketball with their buddies after work and stuff like that. And not on a, you know, everything, we don't have to take life so seriously. Everything doesn't have to be about getting to a professional level and making it a life living and being the best at basketball and being able to make the most baskets, you know, we can take things a lot less seriously. Uh, as long as, you know, we're not like hurting our teammates by, you know, not applying ourselves to the game or not applying ourselves to the situation, then why do we have to be so darn good at something that we can only do it if we're perfect at it? That's, you know, it's, kind of a silly concept that we would need to be perfect at something in order to engage in it. And why on earth would it need to be so serious to begin with? I mean, it just, it's kind of, it really fits into a society that doesn't value play very much. Yeah. Or teamwork or collaboration or effort. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's also, I, I touch on the fact that it's also based on a lot of ableism. Mm. We have physical and different mentally emotional capabilities. And, um, you know, it's okay to not be great at basketball and still play basketball. And it's okay to not have a ton of physical abilities to make that hoop or to run fast or any of that. You know, there's a lot of things that we could still praise around all of that, like an effort, like, you know, pointing out the joy that they take in it or the way that, like I was saying in the beginning, the way that they support their teammates or the way that they co-collaborate or, you know, um, how quickly they move or there's a gazillion different things that we could be focusing on besides the fact that, you know, whether they're actually scoring for the team or not. Yeah, you just really awakened a, a thought in me, Sujai, and I'm really grateful to you because it's something that is along these lines that I think is really important for me to, to mention. I want to use myself as an example for this because when I was young, I was told that I had small muscle coordination problems and I was actually put on the disabled list in school. All throughout school, even, even all the way through university, I was given extra time on my exams. And whenever I was in an art class, I was always kind of, you know, put down the last person, the last possible person. In, and, um, and, you know, the teachers would say, oh, that's a good effort. That's a good effort. That's what I kept hearing all the time. It's a good effort, you know. <laughs> but I knew they were. I knew they were telling me you're terrible at art. I knew that's what they were telling me, and uh, and it didn't and it didn't help me to when they said, oh, that if they it, the one time, the one time an art teacher gave me a good compliment, it stayed with me all my life, even to this day. I remember, and I'm talking junior high, and I'm 51. And I still have this little dish. My mom has it in her in her apartment. I don't think I, I don't think she even knows the story. I think I've never told the story before. But this teacher came to me and she said, she said, Vivek, this ashtray <laughs> it was kind of a half-assed compliment. She said, This ashtray, you know, it's not really made well, but the red, the way the red came out is really, really beautiful. And I'm gonna put it in the display case because of that red. And I never forgot that red. And every time I see that red, I'm like, oh, that red. She didn't say, oh, you're, you made effort. Like she was like, it was like, but, but you know what I mean? Like, because then it's like, there's a hidden message behind that. But in this case, it was just pure mm-hmm. appreciation. She had a moment of real, genuine, pure appreciation. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that stuck with me. You're so right. Like, you know, oh, what a great effort. <laughs> wow, you kind of sucked at that today. <laughs> exactly. So for more, um, you know, more in depth, we might say something like, wow, I saw the way that you covered your teammate and that was really neat the way that you recovered the ball or. You yeah, know. it took quick thinking and real courage. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah. I, get all, I get all excited. Like, quick thinking, real courage. And you have to, like, move the muscles in your legs so fast to get off the ground that fast. How'd you do that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then we can really feel joy in that moment and that success. Yeah. And yeah. That, because it's true, and it rings true, and it mm. feels true. Mm. And that, that really 
it goes into our inner voice in a way that we can internalize it and sit with it and feel really good and comfortable with that thing and just be like, yeah, yeah, I yeah. did. I yes, that was good. Yes, yeah. me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So let me go on part two about my story about my past and my childhood. So I have this whole thing, but I have this like really strong concept in my head. I can't draw. I can't write. I had this whole thing for years. I wrote my letters backwards and I can still see myself do it. I don't do it anymore, but I can still see it. The J is backwards and the B. I can't see the B and the, and the D and the P and the Q and the J and the L. And it's all very confusing for me. I couldn't do it. And uh, so for a long time, I had that. And, um, and I just couldn't, I couldn't draw. The other thing was physically. I was very non-athletic, always told, you can't, you're un uncoordinated. That's the word in my head, uncoordinated. In the writing and in my movement, uncoordinated in my head all the time, uncoordinated. Vivek is uncoordinated. And I can do any sports and the whole sports thing. Um, I was, one year I got most improved player, which was nice. But, uh, <laughs> but like really, like, <laughs> I, I would. Like, that, that's that nice, um, most improved player, which kind of feels like that nice, there might be something laying underneath it. <laughs> right, exactly. That's and, the best award we could give this this year. <laughs> yeah, that's the best. That's the best I ever got. And uh, and you know, and I and I had this really strong concept in my head that I was uncoordinated. Um, and I and I, but I had this, I had this design. Some. So here's the thing: inside of me, there was something that wanted to come out, that wanted to express itself. But the world was telling me I wasn't good at it. So then, why should I do it? So, so then I let it go. I didn't draw and I didn't, um, and I didn't dance and I didn't do anything physical. And I would get teachers written, uh, my parents would write notes so I could get excused out of gym class. I didn't even, I mean, I'm a big fan of the participation trophy. The people who don't like the participation trophy, talk to me about it. I'll argue you into the ground and then I'll give you the middle finger. I like the participation trophy, but I didn't even participate enough <laughs> to get the participation trophy. <laughs> <laughs> I was like participation trophy is too much effort I'm not even doing it so like I had no I like I had this solid concept and then then in my adult life my desire to express myself physically and my desire to draw and to overcome those limiting thoughts and beliefs about myself because they were so strong I believed them I was like I just I mean, I don't want, I didn't want to accept that limitation. And, and I wanted to be that for my kid too. But I'm telling you, <clears throat> I used to say I can't draw a straight line with a ruler. That was not even an exaggeration. And I just pushed myself, both with drawing and with physical movement. I took martial arts and then eventually I started taking dance and then I started drawing every day and just practicing and drawing and drawing and just doing what felt right and comfortable. And, and I did the artist way. And I read this book called the Zen of seeing, which is all about meditation and using that. To, and I was finding things that resonated with my way of doing things, but I still did it. I just kept doing it. And now, and now here's the thing. Now I am a dancer and a dance teacher and a performer who is known who, all throughout the world. In a, specific, in a very specific category of dance, but still in that category of dance, my name as an educator and a dancer and a creator is known all around the world. 
and um, and I am a martial artist. And granted, I kind of retired from teaching martial arts a few years ago to focus on the parent education stuff. But before that, I was training with one of the world's top martial artists. And um, I was being invited uh, to attend um, international martial art conferences, um, all expenses paid to go, uh, to go to these places where they brought like two, there were only two Canadians invited uh, to, the, to this big conference that happened in 2012 that I spent months training for. Every night I would spend all night, I would go out and I would just run all throughout the neighborhood and train like intense. I told my daughter, my goal is I want to be at least the second least in shape person. I don't want to be the least in shape person. I just want to be the second least in shape person. That way I'm not, I'm not last. And then I trained for months just to sweat and I achieved it. I was like, literally I was the second least in shape person. So at least I had a realistic goal. Um, but and we celebrated it too. And, uh, but you know, but my point is, my point is who would have ever seen that in little Vivek back then that he would be a, a world renowned martial artist, a world renowned dancer. And my art now, I mean, I draw all the time. I post it. I have people buying my art. And I'm like, you want to buy my art? Really? And I remember who I was. And then people come, I actually got commissioned to, to be put in somebody's package thing for a coloring pages. And I made these beautiful coloring pages for them. And they were like in tears. It was so beautiful. And, and I look at my art and I'm like, where did this, I still remember. I remember that program so clearly because for decades, that's what I thought about myself. And I look at the art and I'm like, where did this come from? So just because somebody has a, what, looks like a, what looks like a limitation to us doesn't mean that there isn't a, a deep, deep seed in there. And if their passion is that way and we don't think they're good at it, you know, let's dig with them rather than try and stop. That. Look at me. I want to cry when I talk about this, you know, how many years would it, would have been different in my life. Oh, I'm sorry, mom, if you're hearing this. But how many years would have been different in my life if I had been given a different message about my movement and about my drawing? How many years would have been different? You know, and I don't want to give that message to kids. You know, if you like it, you, you can do anything you want with it. Who cares if other people, what other people think of it, you know? Do, who are you? You do you. That's the message. That's the message of praise. The fundamental message of praise is do you be you, mm-hmm. and let's celebrate that. You know. Yes, with all of its glory, whether we think it's meeting arbitrary um, expectations, such as you know, being completely so uh, physically fit, or you know, drawing incredibly straight lines, and you know, the most amazing thing is. You know, I mean, everything about you, <laughs> of course, my friend. But the most amazing thing, your artwork is mind-blowing. Um, it looks like something that was printed up on a computer screen and not something that somebody, um, you know, with incredible skill and attention to detail um, and incredible symmetry pushed out with their own, you know, a pen and a piece of paper. It's, uh, it's mind blowing. It's so incredibly beautiful. And to think that you weren't always seen as an amazing artist um, just blows my mind. And, you know, um, 
<laughs> as your longtime friend, I see you, um, you know, I've seen a lot of your clips of the way that you're inside your body and the way that you do the dance and um, the martial arts and all of that stuff. And so, again, it would hit me as really amazing to think that, you know, somebody looked at you and thought that you weren't good at some kind of a sport and, you know, instilled that inner voice. And I can only imagine how different life might have been for you and for me as well, my friend, um, had we had more positive influences and role models in our lives that were not only mindful, but consciously really um, working with that self-knowing and that inner voice and ideas that honored the human experience more like the idea that the human brain learns with repetition and the more we do something, the better we get at it. And, you know, I, I read this meme. The human the brain day. learns with repetition. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I read this. The meme human brain learns with repetition. That's right. The human <laughs> That's brain the classic. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I couldn't let that joke go by. I honor my daughter by that because we live with the classic jokes, right? That's our whole life. Absolutely. From the day she was born, I taught her the classic jokes. That was part of our, that's part of our whole thing. So I can't let something like that go by. Mm, no, absolutely. <laughs> I, I hear you. <laughs> I knew you'd be into it too. I knew you'd be into it. <laughs> but so I saw this meme the other day that really shook me because I hadn't ever thought of this before. And it said something about how it said something about how we do teaching with children and how it's not actually indicative of real world experiences. And let me clarify a little bit. Um, so with a child, we give them a set of work, a, a set of tasks and goals, and we go complete these goals within set amount of time. And then we're going to grade you on it. And that's your final grade. That's it. You get one go around at this and that's your final grade. And, you know, maybe we'll give you a similar assignment down the road, but on this one, that's it. Right. But that's not how it is in the real world. In the real world, if you set about doing a job and you do it subpar, you've got to do the job again and again and again and again until you get it right. And, you know, I, I really saw that in application, um, <laughs> right after I read it, I went into my dentist appointment and the dentist had um, the dentist had done the job poorly and needed to redo the job. And I thought to myself, now, had that been a final score, I would be living with the pain. You know, and instead, the dentist, she apologized for, um, you know, not getting it right the first time and said, we have to do this again. And, you know, I was more than happy to subject myself to that because I certainly didn't want her um, failed attempt. And was I angry at her for failing her attempt? No. I mean, you know, we're not going to get everything right the first time. And I certainly don't want something that's subpar that doesn't make the grade as her final attempt in my own health, you know. And, and so when we think about that, um, it really stood out to me how this grading and experience and going, oh, yeah, well, you tried it and you did it and, you know, you, you weren't great at it or you were really great at it. And that's the end of this one. Um, it's not indicative about of the way that we're actually going to go about life. You know, if um, 
if I give advice that doesn't help somebody, I'm going to try again and give them some different advice. You know, I'm not just going to stand by that advice and go, yeah, well, that was it and it doesn't help. So have a great day. <laughs> We're going to try again and again and again until we can get on the same page and find something that feels good to both of us. And that's the way the real world works. It doesn't end with this first attempt on a final grade. I'm going to put a big headline. I broke down crying and sobbing in tears on this episode. Please watch and be kind to me. Or please listen and be kind awesome. to me. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> the fake you breaks know, down in tears. Season you know, five, that inner voice, five. that inner voice is so much of mm. our um, human experience, really. You know, so much stems out of that. And, even the way we interact with the world really stems with that because if our inner voice is, you know, hesitant, hurting, um, feeling like we're never enough or we're not good enough or we're just going to make tons of mistakes, we're so much more cautious and withdrawn and withheld in the way that we go about things. And a lot of times we might miss opportunities to honor ourselves because we're struggling with that inner voice that's telling us that we just cannot do that or that we're just going to get it wrong or that we don't have enough chances to get it right, you know. And um, I don't know that that, you know, in the direct, in the direct case of like, your artwork or 25 years of helping people learn how to um, do martial arts, you know, in the direct case of telling you that you weren't good at those things, that actually, you know, it, it didn't just cause, and it did, it caused that internal damage to you. And it also, it, um, it, it kept the world from this beautiful thing that you have to share with them for so long, you know? Yeah. You know, when we, uh, we, we interviewed my daughter twice now for our podcast. And what we've done both times is we went to our membership community, which I'll give a little plug for just now. Um, Sajai, you and I, we host a membership support, membership parenting support community where we do weekly um, meditations and weekly coaching calls and group coaching calls, which are really wonderful. The community learns from each other. And we do, I've designed a whole series of meditations that, and we do meditations every week, a couple of meditations a week. Um, we do um, a live broadcast where I, I, I go live every week. And Lilia also, another very wise friend of ours, goes live every week. And we, uh, we just have an amazing uh, community there. And a lot of the work that we do in the community is the very work we talk about in this podcast, right? And how to... Uh, because it's one thing to know the the to know the work that has to be done. It's another thing to actually do it and to do it on a daily basis and to do it with support and to do it with community. It's a really transformative thing. Mm-hmm. And you can find us at gentleparentsunite.com backslash membership. Anyway, so I want to talk about uh, my kid again because, you know, I love talking about my kid. So we had her on the podcast and what we did was we put a post up on the Facebook group. And we said could everybody share their questions that they would have for a kid who's now a young adult, who's been raised in the gentle parenting philosophy the whole time, never punished, never given a consequence, never used, 
praise or rewards, except how I talked about it, of course, which is constant, but, <laughs> but never, to, never to manipulate, no consequences, no rules, no boundaries, no limits, no authority, always everything done with, through collaboration. Like we went as extreme as we could possibly go. We went in every possible direction. Uh, and only, only the things we didn't do that were extreme was only because we didn't think of it. So, so we really, and we just constantly worked on it. And so then that, that, and, I, and, and, and there were a whole bunch of questions. People were asking questions. What about this? And what about this? And one of the questions was, are you upset with your parents at all? Or do you wish that your parents had done it differently? where they had pushed you into studying something as a backup or to get some kind of stable career. I'm uh, exposing them honestly. She said there's this whole real world assumptions and then most people, they just go by that. Are you upset that you didn't get pushed into going on having a backup plan, studying something that would make money for sure, like go into medicine, become a lawyer, become an accountant, do something where you know you're going to have become a computer programmer, you know you're going to have a stable future. And then and I printed all the questions out and I read them one by one. And I remember her, we were sitting in her room when I was reading these. And I remember she stopped for a second and she looked at me and she kind of squinched up her face like she was trying to understand the question. And she said, are they, <laughs> I'll never forget this. I love this girl. She said, are they asking that do I wish you had told me not to follow my heart and not to listen to my truths? And not to follow my own intuition about my life, my own path, and to follow an external path. That's what she's asking. She wants me, she's asking if I wish that. <laughs> and it was incomprehensible to her that, that, that somebody would think that that would be a good thing to tell somebody not to follow their heart. And, uh, and I just love that because, you know, it's, it's a different thing than saying, have you thought of, have you thought, what do you think of the idea? of going to university. That wasn't the question, right? The question was about us having pushed her. So it's not that we didn't discuss those things. Of course we discussed it. But the encouragement was for her to listen to her own wisdom. What's right for her? Take all the information and then what's right for you? And you trust that. And then we will stand behind you. And that's always been the lesson. Yeah, Sujai, this topic is deep. And I really feel like um, it's important for us to have talked about the positive side of praise and how we can use it to uplift kids and how powerful it can be when it's not used conditionally. Because mm. again, in the gentle parenting world, we talk about don't use praise, but we really mean don't use it manipulatively. And just like, but making a kid's world full of positive reinforcement and validation, I think is a beautiful thing. And uh, it just requires us being aware of ourselves when we're doing it, you know. Yes, yes. And so, yeah, it's definitely not one of those blanket, like, let's just not do it. It's a terrible thing. And in fact, I think that if we completely never mention the positive because we're trying not to praise, that could also add to a kind of a negative inner voice, like, why does my parent never praise or, you know, does my parent not think that I'm wonderful? And so... <laughs> right. It's definitely not something that we're just going to just drop completely and step away from. We just yeah. really want to lean into it being true, organic, real, and really, you know, on point to what they're experiencing and what they're going through so that mm. they can take away from it the most powerful 
thing possible and the most yeah. powerful yeah. personal experience from the situation. Right. And I often talk about something called attribute-based positive reinforcement, where you're actually pointing to specific attributes. Like I might say, oh, you really know your body very well. You know, you're really listening to your body or, ah, I can tell that you took all of the you can take all the um, elements into account and you made a decision and you really thought that through. I saw you, I saw you doing that. And so like I'm pointing to different attributes, pointing to different aspects of their experience and then they notice it about themselves next time. And it, that's one of the ways we can guide them actually. Praise is one way we can guide them, but guide them to know themselves, to look at themselves. That's where integrity comes into play. I'm still guiding. You know, there's this whole thought that we're not guiding. No, I actually think we're more of a guide because we have real integrity, we're guiding them to look at themselves, to have a relationship with themselves. So that the, the, that's where the locus of, of their decision-making comes from. That's where the locus of their understanding is. Um, and then from there, they connect with other people. Rather than, like you were saying earlier, rather than depending on other people for praise, and then that's how they get their needs met. But it's really both, really. And... Uh, and this is, I'm opening a can of worms that's going to take us to another hour of talking, so I'm going to stop there and say, <laughs> and say, please come and join us on our big, we have a big parenting Facebook group called Gentle Parents Unite, and there's over 62,000 members and a huge uh, support team, uh, uh, admin team of really wise, committed people who share the same philosophy as us and they really understand it and so come and join us there. You can read through the units. We have this whole education section, which is like a whole course in gentle parenting. Really, it's, the, in my opinion, the best course you can get in gentle parenting, and it's all free. You just have to join the group. And make sure you answer the questions. And then you can also join our paid membership group where Sujai and I do more intimate personal work with the parents uh, and live events and stuff like that. And that's at gentleparentsunite.com slash membership. And that's how you can find us. Um, and my my own videos and articles, I write uh, my own stuff. I, I publish at Meaningful Ideas. So you can find me at Meaningful Ideas on Facebook and YouTube and oh, and Instagram too. Because uh, I always mention Instagram, especially these days, because Alanis Morissette shared one of my sayings on Instagram. And I'm just so uh, grateful to her for doing that and for her spreading the word about this important mindset of parenting. So thank you to Alanis for doing that. Uh, the saying was, kids are not acting out, they're reaching out. And uh, it's just, it's really connected to this, you know, seeing beneath the surface. And yeah, and that's it. So thanks, everybody. And we will see you next week. <laughs>